Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. In our last episode, we discussed corporate hiring practices with the intellectually and developmentally disabled in mind. In this episode, we explore corporate philanthropic giving through the perspective of a highly influential leader within a Fortune 100 company infrastructure. This company made the decision to enter into a partnership with the city to build a playground for children of all abilities. And that is how our paths crossed. What does a playground mean to you? How would you define it? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word playground as either a piece of land used for and usually equipped with facilities for recreation, especially by children, or an area known or suited for activity of a specified sort. Thanks to an evolution in universal design principles and a greater emphasis on disability inclusion than there was a few decades ago. Playgrounds that serve children of all abilities are slowly but surely becoming more common. For me, an all abilities playground is more than just a playground. I was asked to speak at the grand opening of one such playground, a playground built in 2019 through a joint partnership between the city of Plano, Texas and Liberty Mutual Insurance. The idea of such a playground took me back to a time when I was a young girl and the older sister to two younger brothers, one autistic and one neurotypical like me. I immediately was taken aback with emotion and hit with the realization that my son and daughter would be playing regularly at this playground while they were still young enough to really enjoy it a playground that catered to their varying sensory challenges. For example, the playground floor, instead of being wood chips, was instead this type of foam flooring, at least a foam feel to the floor that gave as much as it got, allowing for kids with sensory challenges like my daughter to get the sensory feedback they needed. My brothers and I didn't have such a playground, and we would often get stares when my baby brother would exhibit certain behaviors. Also, now that we know what we know, some of the sensory challenges he had on the playground growing up may have been remedied with modern-day universal design practices. Now, living in the present day, It allows my husband and I the joy of seeing our children spend hours at this playground, the Liberty Playground, in a way where they can just be themselves. Taking that extra time for design like this really drives home the point that someone decided that my children should be seen in a way that their uncle wasn't in the previous generation. Needless to say, I thanked both city management and Liberty Mutual leadership and their respective teams for such a project. That day is a day that will stay with me for some time to come. And it's 
since become quite the popular park. There's rarely a time where we go to the playground that it is not well populated. Well, maybe between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. in July and August, since we do live in Texas. But besides those times, one of the people I was fortunate enough to meet was Melissa McDonald, president of the Liberty Mutual Foundation. Since she founded this foundation back in 2003, Liberty Mutual's philanthropic program has committed over $250 million to over 1,300 organizations through direct grants with the focus on three major pillars. One, accessibility for people with disabilities. Two, security for people who are homeless. And three, education for youth living in poverty. Earlier this year, she sat down with me to discuss how she entered the corporate philanthropic space, how she and her team go about choosing a project for impact, lessons she's learned, and words she lives by. So let's get started. So believe it or not, I've been in my current position for 20 years, Lola, but it feels like I've had like 10 different jobs because it has changed so much over the years. When I started, there actually was no foundation. There was a giving, but it was mostly to United Way, a couple million. Today, Liberty Mutual Foundation and employees contribute over 64 million to the community. So it's very different. And we also didn't have what we call Liberty Torchbearers, which is the umbrella for all of our giving and service programs. So to borrow from your show's title, this is not your mama's philanthropy program. (laughs) With that in mind, tell us a little bit about your career path on the way to your current role. I actually studied finance and Spanish undergrad at UMass Amherst and started in banking. I started in the budgeting department, but I was asked to interview for a job as the controller of a new corporate foundation that the bank was establishing. Frankly, I had no idea what a foundation did at that time. I agreed to the interview, and what's really ironic to me today is that I was volunteering. I was a GED teacher one day a week. And coincidentally, the foundation was supporting the organization where I was volunteering. So when I interviewed for this position, they were really excited because I they thought it'd be a good match because I had the skills, but I also had the interest in the community. That's how I got into this work. Oh, it must have been like 25 plus years ago. I also um, worked on my MBA part-time nights at Boston College. And when I finished, I started at full-time at the Harvard Kennedy School to get my master's in public administration because I really wanted to look at social investing and what that meant, what that looked like. When I finished at the Kennedy School, I started at Liberty Mutual and started really just doing some grant making and actually some speech writing for our then CEO. So you have this rich background, it sounds like, of education, of public administration, of finance. So you could look at this space through multiple lenses. What are some of the major ways you've seen corporate social responsibility and corporate philanthropy change over the years? 
corporate social responsibility has changed so much in so many great ways, actually. I've seen so many companies, including Liberty Mutual, begin to really put the full strength of their company behind the issues that they care about. I think there's also some other ways, and I alluded to this one earlier. Let's take employee engagement in the community. Many years back, employee engagement in the community meant that employees would get you know, something in the mail asking them if they wanted to contribute to United Way and they would make a pledge that would carry them through the following year. Now, giving is, there's just so many different ways to give and there's so many different ways to serve, you know, and whether you serve on a board, you serve on your own, whether you offer your skills, whether you're responding to a disaster, and so the entire way in which employees engage is very, very different. Also, I think what we've seen is, and certainly at Liberty Mutual Foundation, we have moved from inputs, kind of how much money do we put into the community to really what's the impact we're having. So take an issue like youth and young adult homelessness, which is one of our priorities. It's not enough to just look at how many programs are we funding? We really want to look at what is it that holistically that makes a young person end up homeless and on the streets? And how can we intervene with that system and invest in that system in such a way that a young person doesn't end up on the street? So, for example, many young people, about 40% of young people, I should say, who end up homeless have exited state care, exited foster care. So what can we support so that young people have plans in place when they're exiting foster care? Or one other example is most young people, by the time they end up on the street, have spent a year couch surfing. So what are the ways in which we can do what, what they call upstream work so that young people don't end up on the street. They're identified early. We're seeing a change in employee engagement. We're seeing a change in kind of moving from what we'd say technically are inputs to impact. And also, I think what we've seen is more integrated solutions. So take, for example, COVID-19. You take this issue, which is huge, and you look at how can we address this issue from as many angles as possible. So for us at the Liberty Mutual philanthropy team, we said, okay, well, we're going to do 346 emergency grants and we're going to do workshops on the CARES Act so that our nonprofit partners learn enough so they can access PPP the loans. And we're going to do a flash match. So our employees who want to contribute to one of our community partners has the opportunity to make it a special gift. And then we're going to look at doing a, what we call torchbearers calling, where employees picked up the phone and called people who were shut in. And then of course we did major grants, but it's this multifaceted approach to an issue that I think is much more holistic. So those are just some of the ways that I've seen a lot of changes in corporate social responsibility. Where do you see these philanthropic efforts going? You know, I no one has a crystal ball, but 
where do you see it going? Seeing you, you were in this unique position of seeing it over the past couple of decades. You know, if you did have a crystal ball, where do you think it could go? I think where it's going is looking and instituting in a, in a bigger way the deployment of expertise, the deployment of a skill sets within certain industries. And you're seeing more and more of that. And I think it's going to get even more significant. And I think, you know, I think community and how we engage in the community just cuts across and will continue to cut across everything we do. So it's not like an isolated function. It's not like a working with the community is one department or one person's job. It's really about the entire organization. And what I've seen a lot of and expect to see even more of is the different ways that different parts of the company want to engage the community. They want to that employees feel good about being able to to make donations or have the company make donations that are tied to things that they might be doing, like even like a a step challenge or uh, they might be doing another activity, like maybe they were going to have a big office party, but they're going to, instead, they're going to do something with the community. So these are many, many different, very creative ways to engage and continue to grow the, the support of the community through the expertise and the the brain power of the company and the talent of the company. So I think there's a, a lot of awesome momentum that we're looking at right now that's just going to continue to evolve. And I think also just seeing that, you know, during COVID, where so many people are kind of taking stock in how fortunate they are and how much they really want to help for people who are who are up against hard times. And God knows that's, you know, that's a lot of people right now. Unfortunately, very, very true. I think if the one silver lining out of all this, to echo your sentiments, that if people aren't at least taking stock of, you know, what significance looks like in their own lives right now, I feel like that's a wasted opportunity. Um, It's so true. So let's talk to a land about a land far, far away, uh, Mm -hmm. pre-COVID-19, known as 2019, if you can remember that. Oh, yes, um, <laughs> yes, 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 which is um, actually how you and I met through the grand opening of an amazing playground that my kids still utilize now, known as Liberty Playground in Plano, Texas, a site of a major portion of Liberty Mutual operations. How did this playground come to be? You know, Liberty Mutual was opening a major facility and office in Plano, Texas, and wanted to make a gift to the city. Uh, We thought that a universally accessible playground really represented our philanthropic heart and and our heart as a company. We had gifted our home office community of Boston an inclusive playground. So we had a really good purview into the impact that a universally accessible playground can have in a community. Well, we reached out to Mayor Harry and the then Parks Commissioner, Robin Reeves. And we were very fortunate that the city was already planning to make a significant investment in, in Windhaven Meadows. 
Uh, and that was one of three places that they showed us and definitely our favorite. And I have to say, Lola, it was that that opening that you were kind enough to speak at speak at was phenomenal. And it was phenomenal. And you really made a huge difference because you could speak from such an incredible point of view because the, the idea behind the playground is it was a gift to the city so that children with and without disabilities could play together. And you knew what it was like to bring two children to the same playground. And so just the way that you spoke about the, the Liberty playground uh, really made a big difference. So just want to publicly thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just speaking about our family's personal story, the playground is more than just a playground to me, as you know, which was the basis of the speech. Just being able to see a playground where you saw the attention to detail, you could see that there was a real thought process with universal design and inclusion principles well thought out. How did you go about finding vendors that had these principles in mind? We relied heavily on people from the city, as well as our employees. And we used the same architect that we had used for the Boston playground, Weston and Samson. And they have a specialty in inclusive design. They had done a beautiful job in Boston. It's a much smaller space. But we could not have been more thrilled with the space in Plano. Well, everything's bigger in Texas, as you know. <laughs> Good point. So, so you did work out. You, you do have a playground in existence at, in Boston, which helped to provide somewhat of a blueprint for what um, was constructed in Texas. So that was, that's helpful in gaining a better understanding. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's, it's a smaller playground, but it did give us a chance to really understand the power of that playground. And in fact, last year, David Long, our CEO, received a note, a young man in his 30s who had a terrible accident and was at the Spalding Rehab, which is right next to the playground. And he had a four year old son who would come and visit him. And the son just was so scared, obviously, being in the rehab and not really understanding what happened to his dad. And, you know, they, they, this man said that it was very, very hard for him to connect with his son. And then one day they went out to the playground. And all of a sudden, the son was not scared of his dad anymore. And they were playing in the playground. So this, this, really kind man sent a note to David and it was very it was very heartwarming for us because it was kind of a different angle on the value of the playground and how it breaks down barriers so uh, it was a wonderful story that is a beautiful story because it talks it just shows the many iterations like you think you're building you're building a playground with a certain result in mind, and then you realize that there's so many ways of which goodness can just reverberate in just so many infinite uh -huh. ways. Exactly. And what criteria do you use in determining what type of projects to pursue? 
So the Liberty Mutual Foundation has three areas of focus. One is accessibility for people with disabilities. The second is homelessness, and we really lean into youth and young adult homelessness. And the third is education for children and youth living in poverty. And we have our our, our directed grants are in Austin, the Plano area, and then Seattle. And so we look at a number of really standard items. We also look at the leadership of the organization. We look at the strength of the board, the, the strength of the management. I think, you know, when we look at an issue, we really look at how are we trying to tackle an issue. And in the case of accessibility, for example, you know, we spent a lot of time conducting research and talking with providers. And one of the things that we came to recognize was that in order for individuals with disabilities to to really live out their dreams and their potential, they can't live in isolation. And in many ways, there is a lot of isolation. So our kind of theory of change is that we, we will invest in sports and recreation for people with and without disabilities to, to come together and be together. We're going to invest in cultural organizations. So again, it's building the confidence and the exposure for people with disabilities with our hope that we can also help in the workforce development side of things so that individuals with disabilities have the opportunity to get good, solid, livable wages. So this really fell into that first category of sports and recreation and the significance of those formative years where you have children with and without disabilities playing alongside uh, one another. And so we, we put on the plaque a gift to the city of Plano so children of all abilities can play together. And at least once a week, most weeks, we we walk by that that plaque, and wow. it means a lot to us. It really does. Oh, that's beautiful. As you were first, you and your team were first contemplating this all abilities playground project in Plano. What made it initially attractive to you and maybe more attractive to you over time? Was it seeing the potential sites like you mentioned earlier when the city of Plano team was working with you and showing you the different sites? Like what was that moment where it really gained momentum? I would say really early on, we knew we had a magnificent public-private partnership with the city of Plano the way that the city really embraced us. And we knew, of course, we knew from watching in Boston how much it contributed to the city. But I think the playground was, the the, the space itself is so magnificent. And we felt like, you know, on this beautiful property that featured a dog park and play area and open space and trails and ponds, we felt like it really made this powerful statement to all our children that they matter, they count, and they deserve access to the best our community has to offer. And that's exactly the vision that was fulfilled. That's exactly what that playground is. So fast forward 
all this strategy, the strategy sessions, the initial breaking ground. We're now there at grand at the grand opening. You fly in from Boston. Other leaders from Liberty Mutual, including CEO David Long, like when you first put your eyes on it, what were your initial thoughts? Lola, my initial thought was a beautiful quote from Maya Angelou. She once said that life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. That moment took my breath away. I I felt very similar. But I wanted to hear what you would say later on that afternoon. I don't know if I told you this, but I drove my kids there after school that very same day. And my daughter, who is more severely impacted by autism than her older brother, the way she took to the playground, um, Mm. it was it was a lot. And a lot of the sensory features that are placed in the playground, that's where she gravitated towards. And I just thought about all the well-meaning people that were part of this project, but you could tell that universal design was definitely in mind because she definitely took to it immediately. That's Yeah. In fact, you wrote us and we saved that note because I mean, I think you you captured it. And I love that there isn't like there isn't like a hill for people with disabilities and a hill for people without disabilities. There's just a hill, you know, that everyone can access. And that was really special to hear you tell that story of going back to the playground that day. As I recall that 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 was one of the hottest days I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that takes some getting used to. I, I'm a I'm a Texas transplant. I've been here for six years now and it's I don't think one could ever get used to the heat. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's probably where I first started implementing my motto of one day at a time because maybe they <laughs> contributed to it. Right. Um, along those lines, I wanted to along the one day at a time and uh, clearly this is work that you feel is part of your calling, and you've mentioned that in our previous discussions I've had with you, there is a quote that I understand that you, that is very special to you, that I learned in my research on you before our interview. Do you care to expound upon that quote? It is my life lesson quote, and it is uh, actually a quote from the Bible. And I think that's what you happened upon it. And it is an instruction that I take to heart that says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. I love that verse. And (laughs) it is a, a North Star for me. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. For those of you interested in the genesis of how this podcast came to be, please join us at our website at notyourmamasautism.com or on Instagram at notyourmamasautism. In our next episode, I speak with a purpose-driven CEO who shares how life events have shaped where he is now and his plans for the future. 
See you soon. Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Lola Dada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fella Ali. My dad, little sister Alero, and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosin Ali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Wolani Williams Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.